so what he was talking about last week was between volunteer and laborer, and he, as those as nouns, a volunteer is a person who freely offers to take part in an enterprise or undertake a task. So it's like, hey, if I have time, I'll help out, sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, people do that that aren't Christians all the time. All the time, they volunteer, they go into the Peace Corps. Like, you don't have to be a believer to volunteer your time to do good things. People volunteer at homeless shelters and, and food pantries. We have Mormons who come and volunteer here at our food pantry, right? So it, it, you don't have to be a believer to volunteer, but there's a major difference as a believer between volunteering for something and being a volunteer, hey, I'll help out when I have time or if my schedule allows for it, as opposed to a laborer who's co-laboring with the Lord unto a purpose. And that's, that's the distinction that we want to draw because we want to raise up a community of laborers, not volunteers. We don't, the world doesn't need more volunteers. The church doesn't need more volunteers. Volunteers get burnt out. <laughs> they feel used and abused and like, oh man, I just always get asked to do things and I just feel pressured to volunteer. No, a laborer is one driven, this was the definition, driven by vision and faith. Active zeal versus useless busyness. I love that, driven by vision and faith. So it's even what we were doing this morning in worship. We were beholding the king. That's vision. <laughs> vision of who he is then creates this faith in me to say, whoa, I need to give my life to something that's so much greater than I am and who I am individually. And I want to collate. He's inviting me to co-labor with him that his kingdom could come into the earth Whoa, what a privilege. Then it becomes a privilege and an honor rather than a duty and a task where I feel obligated to do something, right? It becomes, oh, this is an honor. The king of glory is inviting me in to co-labor with him for his kingdom to come into the earth. And that is what God is looking for. He's looking for laborers. He's not looking for volunteers who feel obligated to do something or to just keep up the Christian activity to look a certain way. That's not what we're about. He's looking for laborers who receive his vision and partner with him to advance his kingdom. It's a, it's a di I, I know it's like we're, we're coming on this line that, that so there can be so close to each other that we wonder... Have I been functioning as a volunteer or have I been functioning as a laborer? Because there could be so much overlap between those two things. Like, oh, but it really comes down to that heart posture of are you being driven by vision and faith to partner with God for his purposes in the earth? And the church is the plan of God. We say this all the time. He has one plan. It's not complicated. It's not like, oh, he has all, all these uh, a million plans, A, B, C, D, E, F, just in case A doesn't work, we'll go to B, and if B doesn't work, we'll go to C. No, he has one plan, and it's his church to reach the world. Souls saved. His kingdom come in the earth. That's the, he does that through his church, and that's what the whole New Testament displays to us. Jesus was preparing 12 men to launch the church and the establishment of the church, which was the rest of the New Testament after he left, to go preach the gospel 
gather the believers and bring some order and say this is what his family looks like. The church is God's family. And that those communities would multiply preaching the gospel in their communities, displaying it in their lives, and becoming established and growing and multiplying. World domination is how I like to say. God is after world domination, and he's doing it through local bodies of believers all over the world. We're connected, you know, it's not just us here, you know, the 30 to 40 of us that gather on a Sunday. We're connected to a global body of believers. We're one body together in the church. That's his church. And we're all laboring together with the Lord to reach the lost, to expand his kingdom, to display who he is everywhere. That's the whole purpose, that he would be known. Therefore, the establishment and expansion of the church is to be central in our lives. It's what we're all called to. Ephesians 3, we talk about it all the time. The church is to display to the powers and principalities who God is, right? It is, uh, I think Joe says, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, it's like you get the church in order, you get your family in order. Healthy church is healthy families, and then bring on the spiritual warfare because you don't have to provoke, like intentionally provo provoke the principalities. They are provoked by the church being in order and families being in order. That's what that displays, that, that progression. And that's why we get the church in order by getting our families in order. And then the spiritual warfare comes. The church must be central in this because that is what displays it to the spiritual realms. Right? That is God's plan. That's what he's building. He's building his church. That's his kingdom. And I think sometimes when we hear the word church so many times, it's like a lot of us maybe in our history, maybe a lot, maybe not, in our history, church may not have the, the best connotation to it. So you're like, really, is he just building his church? That's pretty lame. <laughs> the church I've been part of or what churches I've been part of or we think of church as just a Sunday morning experience of two hours. And so we're like, really, that's his plan? Well, we've made church to look like something in the, in the Western world. That's really not what his word speaks to what the church is to be either, right? So I, I want you to disconnect from thinking church is a Sunday morning experience and thinking that's God's plan. That's not what I'm saying. The church as a ruling body of believers who are actively out in the world displaying their faith, preaching the gospel, gathering together with believers, not just on a Sunday, throughout the week, in relationship, loving one another, serving one another, and those things displaying to an onlooking world the love that we have for one another and makes them in awe. What is going on with them? What's happening with them? That's in your life individually, your family, your workplace. All of these areas are to be given to the mission of God to establish his kingdom through a ruling body of believers, the ecclesia. Therefore, we, we have to prioritize our lives with this in mind and heart. We prioritize our families around it. Our workplaces become our mission field, right? The, the, the reason why we work, of course, we need money to live, and, but that's even secondary unless you're thinking funding the kingdom, 
which also is toward the establishment of the kingdom, right? So I'm going to work more so I can fund what God's doing in the earth. That's an incredible purpose of God. But it's also to reach souls, to plant seeds, to be a light, to put him on display. That's making the, the, the work of God, the church of God, central in your life. Is cr- everything that you're doing is with that in mind. And it's moving from the old paradigm, which is full-time ministry, which meant for a lot of times was you don't work. Like a mission, that's what I grew up thinking. Like I became a missionary, which I, I wouldn't call myself a missionary now, looking back from what I believe now to when I was 18. <laughs> I became a missionary, meaning at 18 years old, I moved to New York City and joined a ministry, and pe- I had to raise full time, I had to ra- raise support to live there, to serve there. We worked 60 plus hours a week working with the homeless and addicts, and yeah, that was that was missionary life. <laughs> Am I a true, was I a true biblical missionary then? I don't believe so. (laughs) Now I believe a true biblical missionary is an apostolic leader who's sent out. I mean, if you look at the Bible, Acts 13, they didn't send out the youngest among them who had no experience just out of high school to just go join and give clothes to the homeless. I'm not belittling what I did. That was a tremendous experience in my life that changed me and I believe God led me there and it's all been processed so don't don't discard your experiences but I'm saying my understanding has developed just like we all should be right growing in our understanding my understanding has developed to realize you know I was really just being discipled then that was like full-time immersive discipleship where I was learning hands-on, hey, that should have been done in a church context. I didn't have a church that was that immersive at the time. And I felt called to street life. But that was what, that's the old paradigm of full-time ministry is if you want to be a missionary, give up your job, give up your family, move somewhere else and be in full-time ministry. Or a pastor, right? A pastor you know, has so much, so many responsibilities to a church. Well, we don't, you guys know what we believe about leadership structures. We don't believe in a one pastor model for a church um, that would need that. But the new paradigm, so close, but so very different, is that we are all full-time ministers of the gospel. (laughs) Every single person in this room, if you're hearing my voice, you are a full-time, you're in full-time ministry because Everything in our lives is centered around the establishment and the expansion of the church. Preaching the gospel, displaying it through our lives. Every single part, every decision I make in my family, in my individual life, in my workplace, I have one one thing in mind. God is building his kingdom in the earth and I'm partnering with him in every arena. So he's placed you in the job that you are in to minister the gospel, to fund the gospel, right? That's, I mean, that's what it's all about. This is about him, not us. It's about what he's doing, and that's why we have to gaze on him, because the more we gaze on him, the more we're like, whoa, <laughs> true, I'm very small. He is very big. He is worth it all, right? We have to keep him in the center, God's plan must take first place in our lives. 
uh, there's a passage, two passages I want to hit on today specifically that just were striking me. And I mean, these are two that we know very well. But uh, in Ephesians 4, we'll be first. And we've talked about this one a lot, just even with the structure of leadership in the church, from the early church, the New Testament church, how they understood Jesus' instructions, how Paul understood that divine revelation he received for the administration, for how the church is to be ordered. Starting in verse 11, it says, He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature it belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And verse 15 and 16 is where we're going to hang out today. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of every individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I'm going to read verse 16 in the Amplified. For because of him, the whole body, the church, and all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, when each part, with power adapted to its need, is working properly in all its functioning, grows to full maturity, building itself in love. This is very clear. By what every joint supplies. Now, we have a leadership team, and, and, and the role of, of even our apostolic team is to, to cast vision, to, to, to mature the family, to teach, to train. But that's not the only thing that will cause the body to grow up into maturity. The Bible actually says in the same passage that each individual part, each one of us has a part to play for the growth and maturity of the body, and that actually it only will only happen by what every joint supplies when every part is working properly. When every part is working properly. That's why it's essential and vital, as we say all the time, that we know what our part is and that we're functioning in it so that growth can come, so that fruit can be born in our midst, that we grow up into all maturity, causing the body to grow. I think grow, I didn't look it up, but I think grow, when I read that, I thought not only just growing uh, spiritually as individuals and as a community, which I think is one of the most important parts, but I believe also it causes the growth of numbers, that others are attracted to a body that's functioning healthily. The, the, the world outside or unbelievers are going to be attracted to the church 
of the living God that's functioning properly. So not only will it cause growth in our own lives, growth in our marriages, in our families, and it's going to cause growth in this church family, in our own maturity and depth of understanding, it's going to cause us to grow (laughs) in number. And how exciting is that? I'm, I'm not like a numbers person, clearly. We've, we started with five people here, including me and Tom, right? And that, we weren't like, oh, man. We're not a numbers people, but it does get very exciting thinking about a healthy church family multiplying laborers to reach more people, to preach the gospel, to have authority in a region. <laughs> That's extremely exciting. Extremely exciting that God would add more to our number so that we could have multiplied impact in the community and in the region. That's what we get excited for. And I think it's so important that we each understand that. It's not like, oh, the leader's got to do the job so that this church grows. Oh, we do. Absolutely do. There's a heavy responsibility. We feel that. I can say I feel that responsibility. I know our team does. I wake up every morning with the weight of this community on my heart. No, I'm not exaggerating, not joking. God has impressed it into my being where I want to see this family grow. And I'm constantly asking, Father, what are you doing What are you speaking? What are we needing? How are we to be moving forward? Praying for each family, each individual. Tom and I do that for the family here because you're in us. You're in our hearts. You're in us because we believe we're called here. So it is extremely important for leaders, but every single person that's part of this body must work properly and be working so that we grow and build up in love, building itself up in unselfish love, which love is naturally unselfish, the love of God. And then the next passage, I just wanted to hit on that quickly because I want you to see, if you were uh, wondering before, if if your part mattered, if your life mattered or your choices mattered to this body, They do. They absolutely do. In the most wonderful, incredible way, you matter to the body. You matter. Your life matters. Your marriage matters. Your work matters. Everything in you matters to this church family, for every person here. Okay? And uh, that would be for any person that comes. Matters to the properly working of the body and the growing up into maturity. So, so what does that mean? What does that mean for co-laboring with God? Okay, so we understand that we've got to have vision and faith, that God is inviting us to co-labor with him, that it's not a volunteer position, hey, when I have time, that actually I'm ordering my entire life around this priority. <laughs> Everything that I'm doing is ordered around this because that's God's priority, right? It's not just because we made it up, it's because it's God's priority, so I'm ordering my entire life around that. I'm, I'm laboring with him in my workplace, in my family, in my individual life. Um, but I also was thinking uh, the Lord led me to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. 1 through 3. This is our Christ, our first example, right? 
Therefore, since we have a so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance or distraction, unnecessary weight, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, like we did this morning in worship, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Right? He gave us this example. In fact, he said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross was probably the most horrific end for someone's life. To be beaten like he was. King of glory in our place. Not just any random person either. The creator of all things. Dying a sinner's death on the cross. But he did it. He was able to do that because he saw, he had vision, right? A laborer driven by vision and faith. Jesus had vision of what was ahead of him, world domination. (laughs) That he endured suffering and trial and tribulation, the labor that he lived out in his life, not only in death, but in his living in his living, he, he made choice after choice after choice to obey what God was calling him to do. And you look at his life, he was laboring. He woke up before dawn, before any of the other laborers that he was training to intercede, to pray, to give his life. Then he got up and he led the charge into the harvest fields, preaching the gospel, teaching healing the sick. I imagine that got exhausting. He was human. You know, our physical bodies get tired. I imagine they, they portrayed it, if anyone has seen The Chosen, that one day that he was out there just praying, the disciples kind of got tired, and they were hanging around, eating around the fire. And then Jesus, at the end of the day, and they're like arguing, bickering about things that don't even matter, and he comes back. It's like a very moving scene. And he's barely walking because he had been out there standing, healing this massive line of people. And he just comes. He can barely walk, barely move. And he collapses into his tent. And his mother, who was with him, came and just began to wash his feet and wash his hands. And all the disciples were struck in their heart because they realized how fruitless and worthless their bickering had been because he had been laboring for what God had been doing. He didn't have to address them. He didn't, uh, I mean, this was just the scene in the movie, (laughs) in the show, but I I could picture this happening. He didn't address them. He didn't say, what are y'all talking about? Even just his movement of, I've just given all strength and energy that I have, and I'm collapsing into my tent to fall asleep was enough to strike the heart and say, what are we doing? What are we doing? Look at our example, the Son of God, the Son of Man. 
And you think of, it says, therefore surrounded by, we know that's Hebrews 11, right? And Hebrews 11 has so many examples, and it says all the by faith statements. By faith, so-and-so did this, right? (laughs) The faith was believing unto extreme action a lot of times, extreme doing, that's, that required, like Jesus in that scene, just laying down every ounce of energy and time for the purpose that God had given him. So I want to read just verses 32 through 38. This is by faith. And what shall I say further? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Jephthah, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by the help of faith, who by faith subdued kingdoms. You read that and you kind of read through that quickly. Subdued kingdoms. Think about that. That's not easy labor. Subdued kingdoms, real kingdoms, real wars. Those were Old Testament people. Real kingdoms, real wars, real strength, real swords, fighting. Subdued kingdoms, administered justice, Obtained promised blessings, closed the mouths of lions, like actual lions. By faith, they closed the mouth of the lion. Extinguished the power of raging fire. (laughs) These are extreme. Escaped the devourings of the sword. Out of frailty and weakness, won strength and became stalwart even mighty and resistless in in battle. Some women received again their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured to death with clubs, refusing to accept release, refusing to accept release, offered on the terms of denying their faith so that they might be resurrected to a better life. Others had to suffer the trial of mocking and scourging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were lured with tempting offers to renounce their faith. They were sawn in two. They were slaughtered by the sword while they were alive. They had to go about wrapped in the skins of sheep and goats, utterly destitute, oppressed, cruelly treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. Whoo! roaming over the desolate places in the mountains and living in caves and caverns in the holes of the earth. My labor is very minimal compared to what they went through. Right? I read that, I'm like, gosh, would my faith carry me through that? Torturings and beatings and being killed for my faith, literally not having a place to live, wrapping myself in animal clothing and hiding in a cave in order to preach the gospel? In order to preach the gospel. They had clear vision, clearly. They had vision and faith for something ahead of them, just like Jesus, for the joy set before him. They'd seen his example. Right? They saw his examples. And some of these were even Old Testament. They didn't even know Jesus yet. Because of God's promise of salvation, of freedom, they saw the joy set before them and they endured all these things. 
do you realize that, that seeing and having vision is ex- so extremely important in faith? It will empower us to do whatever it takes to partner with God in what he's calling us to do. No matter what it is, no matter what the cost, no matter how hard or difficult, when we have vision of who he is and vision of what he's calling us to do, we will be driven as laborers to co-labor with him and give it all. Every last ounce. I remember as I was reading through this, I remember very clearly. So Y'all know I did, uh, went to full-time missions in New York City for six and a half years, moved to Brazil for a year, then moved to Haiti for a couple years. The Lord was just directing my steps, and those were very hard decisions to make. Well, I get to Haiti, which was probably, n- no, definitely the most difficult uh, external situation out of all of those just because of the state of the nation, right? You heard some from Britsy when he was here. And I get there, I don't know the language, I don't know the culture, I'd been there one time for a 10-day trip and knew it was hot. That's about it. And the Lord tells me to move there, so three months later, or, or five months later rather, I'm moving there, knowing nobody, and having this one connection with a Haitian lady who has an orphanage. She's not a Christian, her husband's a voodoo priest, but that's the connection the Lord gave me. So I move there. I move into this home that has about 30 children there. The spiritual atmosphere was extremely heavy, of course. Come to find out later, later, there was physical abuse, sexual abuse happening, and I didn't even know with the children and the the manager, whatever, the Haitian run. Anyway, I'm there, and it's extremely hot. No electricity, no running water. The temp is about 100 plus every day, and at nights it was not dropping below high 80s. I'm in this room. I, I had a room by myself, so I had a bed there, but there was no access to food other or water other than the what they gave me during the day, which was I had a meal at 10 a.m., which may have consisted of some rice with a bony fish, and if you didn't eat all the parts, it was very dishonoring to them. So I'm saying they plucked out the eyeballs and brought it to me on a plate, saying, yeah, right? So swallow whole and try not to think about what you're doing. That wasn't even the worst thing I ate. That was just the beginning of the worst things I've eaten in Haiti. But anyway, so that would be like a breakfast meal. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you might have a big plate of rice or cornmeal. And that's it. And now here I am coming straight from, I mean, I had been in Brazil, which is a third world country, but I I knew the language, I could get out, I had friends, I could go buy food if I needed some or a snack. I couldn't hear, too dangerous, they wouldn't let me, and I was too afraid anyway because I didn't know the language. So, and then water, you didn't have access to just go drink water. You're sweating profusely, they don't have a lot of water, so you're just limited to what it is. And I remember one day I went into my room, had no friends there, no one to speak my language. The kids all wanted to be around me all the time. Sounds cute, but it wasn't (laughs) at the time. I was exhausted. I didn't want to have kids climbing all over me saying a bunch of things in Creole I didn't understand. And I went to my room in the afternoon, and I got on my face, and I wept. And I was praying, weeping. God, why did you bring me here? I can't do this. I have no strength. What am I, what's my purpose? 
I can't even speak to these kids. They don't know what I'm saying. How am I displaying you? I'm hot. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly in that moment. It was a moment in my life where I had a wake-up call in my walk. And he said, Wesley, in your life as a believer, you have said and prayed so many times, God, you're my peace. You're my peace. You're everything I need. And you said it with sincerity. You truly believed that that was where you're, you know, that that was true. Because I did. I, I wasn't trying to, like, make up things. I truly thought God was my peace and all that I needed. And he said, but the minute all your comforts got stripped away, you realize I'm not really your peace because if I was, you would have peace in this situation. You would not be moved by it. You wouldn't be shaken by it. And I was so convicted because it was the word of the Lord for me in that moment that I thought, oh, my comfort had blinded me and given me false peace. False peace. And how often can that be? That when we're <laughs> called to labor with the Lord, especially in the Western world, because we have so much comfort, right? There's so much. I mean, we can get comfort in any way. You're hot. You have an AC. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm very thankful for that. But it's true. You, you, that's not every place in the world, right? You, ha you, you have a need. You're hungry. You get some food. You can drive to the store, get whatever you want, right? It, it's comfort take all of that away, and I know for me in my situation, I was not at peace. I was shaken to the core and wanted to run and go home. And when God spoke that to me, I was so moved, and I thought, that's true. I can have peace right now. And I wept. I wept uh, in repentance. I wept in sorrow, and then I wept in joy, knowing that God would fulfill my need in that moment, and he did. He did. He poured, I mean, that moment I had an encounter with God. I must have been there for three hours. And the power and presence of God just poured on me. And I felt an overwhelming peace. And I thought, I can do this. He's called me to labor here. And I can do this. He's with me. I can do this. And that's what, what I think is, I mean, I don't know what it is in, in each of our lives. That was me in that circumstance. And I'm sure there are other things now that I need understanding of. I need the Lord to reveal to me. And I'm asking him, is there anything preventing me from laboring with you wholeheartedly? From saying yes to whatever you're asking of me. And maybe even just hearing all this, just to end here, maybe you're like, I already feel tired <laughs> just thinking about the labor. Man, that just makes me feel tired. Like, I don't know <laughs> that I could do anymore. Maybe it was your, your, it's been your lifetime in Christianity or just your, your actual family uh, circumstances or whatever it might be that make you feel exhausted. But there's just four things that I said, check your to see why that exhaustion is coming because the Lord is enough. I've experienced that very tangibly in very hard circumstances, and I'm sure all of us have to a degree in our lives at different points. And it, it comes to a point if you're saying, oh, I'm just too tired. I'm just, the, even the, the word laborer 
makes me feel tired. First thing, just like the story I just shared, check your source. <laughs> check your source. Are you moving out of your own strength? Are you spending time with Jesus and Holy Spirit, and are you drinking from him? Just like we did this morning for a few minutes, just drinking from him. He will give you all you need. He gives you the strength. It says, even through weakness, they obtain strength. Even in weakness, they obtained strength. Yeah, it says, out of frailty and weakness, in verse 34, one strength and become stout, became stalwart, even mighty and resistless in battle. Check your priorities. So first thing is source. You've got to make sure you're drinking from the well. Check your priorities. Sometimes we have things stealing our time that just don't matter. And they're stealing your energy. Maybe it's things that God hasn't even called you to do or be part of. And it's making you feel so drained because you're just giving time to it. And it's not what you're called to right now in this season, right? We always have to check before the Lord and say, God, am I called to this in this season, right? If, you, if, if not, you might just be adding and adding and adding things, and it's going to drain you till you got nothing left. So check your priorities. Are your priorities in order? Do you have things in your schedule that are less priority, but they're taking more time and causing you to be worn out for the things God is calling you to do? And, and I mean, it could be big things, but it also could be as simple as watching TV or entertainment. Sometimes that just drains you. And we do it to relax. Isn't that paradoxical? It's kind of funny. Like, how odd. Sometimes, I, I'm not saying those things are wrong. We watch TV and all that. It's not... I'm not saying it's wrong, but sometimes it does drain your strength, and you got to check. Check your focus. Are you focused more on your own personal life or on the life of the body or others in the body or on Jesus, right? A self-centered lifestyle will always leave you feeling exhausted and burnt out in giving to others. Always. A self-centered lifestyle will always leave you feeling exhausted and burnt out in giving to others. But when we're in filled with the love of God, walking in humility, right? The love of God produces humility. And Philippians 2 says that we consider others as more important than ourselves. That will strengthen you. That will energize you. Might be taking a, you had to just refocus. And the last one, check your conviction and call. And this is kind of like the priorities thing. But has God called you to do what you're doing? Your conviction of what God has told you to do will give you strength for what is in front of you. And I know that for me in street life in Brazil and Haiti in some of the most difficult situations of my life, I mean, at Street Life, I, there was a moment within the first three months I wanted to leave because it was so hard. And I remember sitting at the table. I was about to run out the door and call my parents to come pick me up. And I was holding on to the table and hearing in my head, I called you to this. I told you to be here. And that was the only thing that was keeping me. It's like I couldn't be disobedient. It was too much of a conviction. I knew that he told me to be there. And so it held me. 
was it hard? Yeah, I died and died and died and died and died to myself all the time. But I knew that he had told me to be there. Same with Brazil, same with Haiti. I had conviction of what he was saying. Maine. God called us to Maine. We didn't know what was going to, we thought we were going to come help what was already happening. We thought we were going to be kids pastors. I thought I'll help with the children's ministry and maybe some worship. Ooh, that script flipped really quickly. But God had said, Maine, go to Maine. Your next step is Maine. And I knew that, and we knew that. So when everything changed and we got here, we thought, well, he said to be here. Oh, everybody's leaving? Well, he said to be here. Like, I don't know what else to do. We have to obey him. Hey, is it hard? Was it hard at times when we had just five people? We're like looking outside. Is anyone driving in? Anyone new coming? Yes, it was. I mean, we literally did that. It was kind of sad. Should we? We had one car in the parking lot because we, Renee lived here and me and Tom lived here. We thought, should we drive all of our cars over to this side <laughs> to make it look like people are here? I think we did it like twice. Yeah. Seriously, though, it, it, it be because you start to go like, how can I get this bigger so I can be encouraged that we're not here for no reason? That's not going to encourage you. What encourages you in it is God said to be there. God said to do it. And you have to be certain. If you're certain of that, keep reminding yourself, even when it's hard, God told me to say yes to this. So if it gets hard, he knows that this is going to be for my good. Something in it is going to be for my good. And something in it might not just be for your good, but for the good of wherever you are, for others, for the region, for, for whatever's happening. It's not always like, oh, I've got to discipline you and, and make you grow up. No, sometimes it's just like, I trust you. I trust you with this heavy thing because I need some breakthrough in this area, and I trust that you'll bring it in right? It's not always negative. I mean, he always does work some ways to make us grow up, right? But sometimes he's just entrusting us with difficult things because he knows we'll say yes and we'll stay. Say, okay, God, this is hard, but I'm staying. So I just want to encourage everybody today as we move forward, I mean, Check all of these four things, your source, your priorities, your focus, and your conviction and call, and be assured of what God is calling you to do. Be assured of it. Be convinced of it. Because as you are, you will be able to face anything. You'll be able to walk through anything. And it, it, even if it's hard, even if it's challenging, uh, you will be able to because he will give you grace for what you need. He will strengthen you, right? So, amen. Let's just pray into this some before we end because it's so hot and it's getting hotter by the second. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that you've invited us to co-labor with you. I pray, God, that it would become just this sense of privilege and honor to partner with you in what you're doing in the earth. God, I pray for any that feel tired or exhausted or already worn out. Father, I pray that you would help to pinpoint any area of weakness or, or, or tiredness or what's sucking us dry. God, I pray that you would give us awareness of it in our heart, in our minds. Bring it to mind even right now.
Is there anything in us that's just taking our time that it shouldn't be? Father, is there anything in my life that's taking my time that shouldn't be? Help us to hear it, God, and give us strength to lay it over and be revived in your strength, revived in your peace and by your spirit. I pray just a release of fresh conviction of the call and purpose for this season we're in right now. For every person in this family, fresh conviction of the call, a word from the Lord that steadies us through the coming season. We need it, God. Each of us need it. We need it, God, to keep us, to strengthen us, to pull us through. We are so excited for what you have in store, and we want to be part of it, Lord. We want to be part of it, and we delight to. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.